0: Log Talk Radio. In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at Infowarsstore.com.
1: You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com
0: You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is The Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide. That's the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to TPC. It is our second week of March Around the World 2023 edition of our March Last Week We spoke with leaders in England, Australia, and Canada. And truly, there is uh, no logic to our travels this year. You wouldn't go from England to Australia, back up to Canada, to go then to Croatia and Brazil. Uh, That is really just crisscrossing the globe, but that's the way we're doing it, and we've got so many more people and so many more nations to speak to as this month continues. And then April 1st will kick off Confederate History Month. We are in a fantastic time of year uh, for the TPC broadcasting calendar. But, yes, last week we were in England, Australia, and Canada with Nick Griffin, uh, Professor Drew Fraser, and Paul Fromm, respectively. Tonight we're going to punch your ticket to Croatia when former diplomat Dr. Tomislav Sunich joins us, and then a little later tonight, after leaving the Balkans, we're going to take a quick trip down to Brazil for an update from our South American correspondent as TPC's aforementioned March Around the World rolls on. And as you know, and as we like to remind you, during this month's special series, we're showcasing some of our people's greatest representatives from various European nations, as we seek to discover how our kinsmen are faring throughout the Western world and beyond. So we are attempting to contact Tom right now. Tom Sunik has been a friend of mine for as long as the show has been on the air, and he is joining us now live from Zagreb. It is a little past 1 a.m. in the morning in the Balkans. Tom, it is great to have you back. How are you doing tonight?
3: Well, thank you very much for your call. And I let me first extend my greetings to all of you folks, and of course to my friends, Kevin McDonald, and uh, also to my folks from the American Freedom Party, and all the good people who are with, who wish, or who will, who actually want to find out something about the Balkans and something about Croatia. Go ahead. James. We are ready to find
2: out anything you want to inform us on. Let me first just remind our listening audience that what a regular you are on this program. Uh, an annual appearance, at the very least. You've always been there with us, and we thank you for that. Tom Sunich holds a doctorate in political science. He gives lectures all around the world. He is well-traveled throughout Europe and, uh, and beyond. As we mentioned, he has authored several books, including Homo Americanus, Child of the Postmodern Age, and Against Democracy and Equality, the European New Right. So let's just dive right down into it, Tom. Croatia, of course, as people know, is a full-fledged member of NATO, the EU and the Schengen uh, Zone, uh, is the Croatian government standing up for the unique interest of its own nation or is it basically just participating in a mimicry of US, EU and NATO directives?
3: It's a good point. Let me first start with some short rundown on the situation of uh, Croatia uh, vis-à-vis Russia and vis-à-vis Serbia. I guess it's a good point you have just made, James. Croatia is a full-fledged member of uh, the European Union, and as of recently, it's also a member of the Schengen Agreement, which technically means that uh, we can now travel, that one can travel from um, Zagreb, from where I live for the time being, all the way to Copenhagen without without even noticing that one is crossing a foreign border. Just for your, for your optics, if I can if I can just make it a little bit more simple, uh, Zagreb itself, it's about a one hour drive to Hungary, about an hour and a half drive to Austria, about an hour and a half to Italy, to Trieste, a little bit more than that, about two hours to, to Vienna, or two and a half hours to Vienna, about two hours to Serbia. So as you can see, we are located right in a very geopolitically sensitive zone, and it's simply no wonder that uh, Croatia, for that the Balkans itself, has always been a a, so, um, uh, a very very tricky place. Now, what I'm sure your, your listeners and your viewers would like to find out is something more about the, um, about the position of Croatia. Towards uh, Ukraine, of course, Croatia being now a full-fledged member of the of NATO, and it holds joint exercises uh, with uh, NATO with U.S. troops um, pretty often now, especially off the coast of the Adriatic coast. And uh, uh, as far as um, your question is concerned, as far as the 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 Ukrainian question is concerned, and the so-called Russian invasion. I, I don't want to use this hyperbolic word, invasion, because it's more complicated than that. I must say, and I don't want to make my very judgment, that Croatia has been very supportive of Biden policy. I'm talking about official Croatia, not unofficial Croatia. Uh, it is very uh, helpful as far as the Ukrainian cause is concerned. It has provided some uh, hard work to, the, to Zelensky's government in Ukraine. And it has been almost, I should say, almost grossly and vulgarly uh, critical of Putin and Russia and so on. I'm not a friend and I'm not a fan of Putin, far from it, but the way the Croatian uh, media, the mainstream media presents and represents this uh, whole um, story in in eastern Ukraine, I guess it's almost like you're reading the Washington Post and the New York Times. So it's pretty much on the same page with the... With Germany and with other, uh, with other non-European, uh, european EU countries, in terms of this massive echoing of this massive support for Ukraine and and Ukrainian people. Let me, however, make a point, which I guess it's quite important. Historically, the Croatian people has been quite sympathetic to the Ukrainian cause, and we can talk about this a little bit more. There is quite a big. Well, I don't know how many. It's supposed to be a secret, but there is quite a number of Croatian volunteers, nationalists, white nationalists—you can call them—who fight on the Ukrainian side. Far from it. That I'm happy with that. But for some reasons, people draw parallels and analogies with the with the situation of of Croatia during the uh, during the breakup of Yugoslavia in 91, 95. And I certainly am far from making any, any parallels with that uh, past event. Now, is it May uh, Dr. Sunich, just, a good just one
2: second, my friend. I just want to tell our producer, uh, I want to take advantage of every minute that we have with you, especially with you staying up so late tonight, uh, your former role as a diplomat, which we'll get into in just a moment. Let's skip that first break and take the bottom of the hour break. So uh, uh, we'll give uh, Dr. Sunich a, f- a couple of more minutes here. So continue on, uh, Tom, please.
3: Yes, so, uh, uh, well, as, uh, as far as Ukraine is concerned, you've got to keep in mind also that the next door, Serbia, which is literally the country where there's constant feud with it, now there's more on a psychological and cultural level or less on the political level. But Serbia is just about the only country in Europe which is, which is I don't want to say supportive of Russia, but it has not imposed sanctions on Russia. And there are direct flights from Belgrade to, to Zagreb, uh, to, of course, in Belgrade to Moscow on a daily basis. Uh, again, uh, Serbia is in, in a big trouble in a way. On, on the other hand, it also has problems with its southern province of Kosovo, which was sliced out, literally was cut out of its uh, territory 10 years, 15 years back. So I can now provide a worse case, but the Very plausible scenario. Again, there's no war here. It's a very safe place, certainly much safer than Atlanta, or for that matter, East Coast and West Coast, certainly much safer than Marseille or even some parts of Berlin and elsewhere (laughs) where I live. So I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But again, I can tell you that. But again, you know, when things start at some point, at some place, some location in in Eastern Europe, or for that matter, let's say in Russia for the time being, or in Ukraine, they're bound to spill over in neighboring countries. And again I should not forget that's the main point I want to make there's a big divide there's a big division now between white nationalists, to call them nationalists in Europe along this line uh, along this line of who is for Ukraine and who is for Russia, who's for Putin and who's against Putin. And let me Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Tell us a little bit about that. I'm going to circle back to some of the other things you've been uh, you've been hitting on. Tell us a little bit about what you're mentioning now, though, with regards to white nationalism yeah, and how to it's split.
3: I don't know. No, 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 we skipped we skipped but the break. You you're, you're, okay, <laughs> you're with us for the whole it. hour.
2: I'm, we skipped the breaks.
3: i I'm, I'm I'm a little bit. I'm very much concerned because this big division between and among white nationalists in, in Europe, I don't like even using this word, white nationalists, white nationalists are people of European ancestry, people of the same gene pool like me and you, they're again getting divided and there, there, there's a big split between them. Of course, keep in mind there are quite a few of Poles, there are quite a few of Scandinavians, Scandinavians fighting on the Ukrainian side. Now keep in mind again, regardless of my I'm totally opposed to Zelensky's government the way how they handled it, and I think even the State Department is, is, not, a, is not handling this crisis in the, in the in Ukraine very well. I'm definitely supportive of President Orban you know Prime Minister Orban in, in Hungary, and I think that with, first and foremost this war should, should come to stop, and that there should be there should be a, uh, there should be a negotiations between both sides. But again, you can see that, uh, for instance, most, well, most, but quite a few of Baltic, uh, uh, Baltic peoples and nationalists, like, are, are uh, historically speaking, have been had have have been very very critical of Russia and its ambitions, regardless, regardless of communism. So communism or Putin, notwithstanding, this is the same case with Poland. I don't know how many Polish volunteers, Lithuanian volunteers, you can put it that way. Were killed were murdered or in fact were per- perished during this war but there are certainly quite a few of them and i also suspect quite a few of croat nationalists some of them they know me some of them i've heard of and so on but it's a tragic conflict and i'm very very sorry about this and right. again we know very well who is the main mover and shaker of this conflict if somebody is to be blamed again keep in mind that the war did not start in in, in 2022 it started in, in much earlier even earlier than the Maidan Maiden event in 19, 2014, it started with the Obama government, it started actually with the with, um, with Clinton government when, of course, there were quite a few American uh, officials, high officials, who were pontificating in, in uh, Kiev and who had some very, very gross and hyperbolic anti-Russian statements. Now, back to Croatia again, I just want to make sure we don't run out of time and cover every detail, every nook and cranny. Again sure. Serbia, really stands out. I don't want to make my own value judgment whether this is for good or for bad, but they really have an a indep- well, indep- semi-independent foreign policy in terms of its, its attitude, in terms of its stance towards Russia. And the only problem is, and this is the worst-case scenario, and we want to end up with this first segment, like um, in case uh, – in case uh, the, this, uh, uh, the United States of America engages uh, Russia or enlarges this conflict to further to further um, uh, dimensions, we can put it that way. I am not ruling out that this could spill over into the Balkans and that the uh, Croats may be used as proxies or as pawns rather. Against uh, against the Serbs because there is still this simmering conflict, you know, going back to the early 90s between Serbs and, and Croats, considering the the breakup of, of Yugoslavia. So again, you might end up again. This is just a weird scenario, but it is it, quite plausible. You may all, we may end up again with a with a civil war in Europe where you might have Poles, Finns. Uh, uh, Lithuanians, Estonians, Poles, and Croats, of course, to some extent also Czechs and Slovaks, fighting on the American side against the Russians and their allies in Western Europe, some of their volunteers, whatever, from France or Greece and elsewhere. And I guess, again, we we have this tendency of saying that history repeats itself. Yes, we see that here, and I certainly wouldn't like to see that happen again.
2: Let's yeah. recap what we've learned so far from you, Dr. Sunich, and your experience on the ground here as a professor, as a former diplomat, is of course very profound. And you've got insights here that you're sharing that go beyond just opinion. Uh, this is something you've done professionally. So, uh, you are you uh, just to restate some of the things that we've covered so far. Croatia basically echoes the voice of NATO, which is the voice of Washington. Ah, uh, they are playing right. it, the, the Croatian government, the Croatian media, not necessarily all of the Croatian people. Obviously, you are uh, a native uh, Croat and uh, are there in Zagreb and are a fantastic representative of our race. And uh, of our cause. Uh, but the the official head table, there, uh, submissive, uh, playing a submissive role in the anti-Russian campaign. They have full support, uh, as you mentioned a moment ago, I believe you put it. Uh, they basically echo the Washington Post, uh, uh, the neocon deep state. I, I want to talk a little bit more. A question already came in about this from a listener. Uh your opinion on this crisis in your neighboring Serbia uh, with its Albanian neighbor, the U.S.-sponsored Kosovo. Uh, there's a large U.S. military base in Kosovo, as as people may or may yes, not know.
3: And, 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 l- l- this is the question. Me. You don't think Let- about this quite often, but yes, yes this is the second largest <laughs> U.S. military base in eastern Kosovo, right on the threshold of, of, of Serbia. Now, keep in mind, again, that the Kosovo is I hate using hyperbolic language, but this is basically an artificial statelet, you know, which was carved out 50 years back uh, from uh, the, the, actually the territory of Serbia. This is the ancestral territory of Serbia. Uh, culture goes back to the 13th century, and of course, they're very proud of it. And just recently, there was a military buildup, and a Serbian military buildup, which was hopefully successfully solved by. E.U. military peacekeeping troops, I'll put it under quotation marks, K-F-E-A-R. Now, of course, the American troops, as far as the, the, the this uh, big uh, uh, camp is concerned, they steel, they're, they're just... Uh, and this uh, camp outdated. is
2: visible from outer space. It's an American military base so big...
3: It's expansive, it's visible yeah, it's from space. Huge, but you never ever hear about them. I don't know what the activities are. I'm pretty much sure they're not passing out chocolates or candy bars or Hershey <laughs> bars or whatever. They're probably, they're all, it's actually the whole system, I suspect, you know. I just don't want to take in some wild guesses, but I suspect they just they serve, uh, this whole area uh, controlled by the American troops serves uh, as a, as a, Surveillance center. Because keep in mind, Greece is next door. It's not very far. Macedonia is not very far, and of course, it probably takes I don't know ten minutes, you know, flight to Tel Aviv, you know, from over there. Now I can give you an idea of Zagreb is up north. We are we are closer to to Vienna than we are than to to Belgrade, and uh, I guess this uh, Bondsteel camp it's about six hundred, I should say, six seven hundred miles. Uh, from from Zagreb. now of course. Well, do you, do you think that this camp?
2: I'm I'm going to mention some of the geography of the Balkans in the next segment after the uh, bottom of the hour break because I, I I always say this. I'm fascinated by maps. If you put a map in front of me, I'd just be uh, enthralled and riveted for for hours. Yes, I love we're, studying maps. If
3: you are not doing a video, because if I had a video, I would show it on a map. <laughs> If it's not, the optics is needed for this type of a discussion, James. But go ahead. Well, you do you do need a, a little
2: PowerPoint, but we'll, we'll do our best to paint a verbal picture. But with this Camp Bondsteel, this American military installation, do you think that this could have some U.S. Russian repercussions in the Balkans for having this Absolutely.
3: position there? Like it had, you know, during the bombing of of Belgrade. You understand the bombing of Belgrade in '99, which was against the international law, if you can put it that way, you know. Of course, many Croats were quite excited about this, but this is – but many Croats were also not excited against this. So, again, the American policy, especially – I'm talking about – listen, Neocon policy has been very detrimental, first to Croatia and now to Serbia, and again, you'd be surprised how many people – even many Croat-Americans. Now, keep in mind this is digression. We have a large diaspora. They had four million Croats, you know, uh, you know, living abroad, and in fact, there are about a couple of million Americans of Christian descent, including myself, you know. So basically, keep in mind that lots and lots of Croats are very conservative. They all voted Trump in during uh, in 19, uh, 2016. And of course, I quite distinctly remember during the bombing of Belgrade in 1999, there were quite a few of Croat nationalists who were opposed to that because they asked themselves question, if push comes to shove, we'll be next on, 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 on target. So, by and large, many—well, not many, but quite a few of Croatian uh, nationalists here are opposed to this neocon policy uh, conducted by Joe Biden and his uh, and his group of people. Just look at the pedigree, and everything will be quite clear to you. So, all right, uh, yes,
2: a lot but, going on. It sounds like I mean, my goodness, my friend, you have filled a segment, and you filled two segments without a break and uh i we have covered I, a ton of I ground i mean really giving people a, a a picture of what's currently taking place in croatia which
3: sits at the in the very heart of the balkans yes well let me just add you know uh, insult to injury the problem is further complicated be, 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 uh, be, be beside this, this similar tension, historical and cultural linguistic tension Uh, between uh, Serbs and Croats, right in between you have this literally artificial state of Bosnia and Herzegovina, and I'm now using an an ad hoc um, adjective, artificial. This is literally a state that was constructed that is run by U.S. and EU proconsuls, and it consists of Bosnia and Bosnian Muslim majority, 2 million people, and then the Serbian Orthodox, who actually had a number of 1 million, 1.5 million, and then the small, tiny, Croatian Catholic minority, about a couple hundred thousand people adjacent to Croatia. So this is literally an artificial state because it's, it, is, it, it ruins, basically, on the principles, on EUCAS, as you can see, on decrees of the European Union and State Department. Now, again, uh, if push comes to shove, I'm not ruling out, and this is just a wild scenario, that the Russians were also there. Of course, they have their quote, unquote, humanitarian agencies, lobbies, charismatic, you know, mm-hmm. what do you call it, uh, uh, places. Uh, uh, hold on right there.
2: Tom, we've got to take a hard break. Ladies and gentlemen, he's this much of a live wire at 1.30 a.m. Zagreb time. Can you imagine what he's like during the middle of the day? That's how great Tom Sudeik is. We'll be back with him right after this.
4: Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Dave Collins. Two high profile GOP hopefuls are visiting the early caucus state of Iowa. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. They're both making the rounds in the Hawkeye state. Haley has already launched her 2024 bid for the White House. DeSantis is widely expected to run. The Florida governor rallied against what he called woke ideology and attacked the Biden administration. The U.S. is planning to lift COVID testing requirements to travelers from China. The plan was put in place this year requiring a negative COVID test for travelers ages two and older before leaving on flights from China. It was placed following an uptick in COVID cases in China after the country ended its COVID zero policy. I'm Ryan Daniels. At least two people are dead as flooding intensifies in California.
5: Officials in Santa Cruz County say a town of 10,000 people have been isolated by flooded roads. There are power blackouts as well. At a news conference Friday, California's Director of Emergency Services confirmed that flooding has caused two deaths. National Weather Service meteorologist Bill Rash says storms and rain are not going away.
6: At the Monday-Tuesday storm, it's looking like a pretty good chance of a couple inches. But what's pretty sure is that even, you know, with another inch or two, we're going to have additional flooding
5: impact. President Biden has approved a state of emergency for California, clearing the way for federal assistance. I'm Karen Sloan.
4: The first ever 3-D printed rocket is scrubbing another launch. The launch earlier today relatively spaces And one rocket was scrubbed in the last hour of the launch window following a launch commit criteria violation less than a minute before liftoff. A launch Wednesday of the rocket was scrubbed at T minus 22 seconds. This is USA News.
6: Attention, small business owners. This could be the most important 10 minute call you will ever make. You could recover up to $26,000 per employee today. With teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits, they know their stuff so well that CPAs and payroll companies even turn to Omega for ERC tax guidance. Call 800 erc That's 800 erc one 1-800-300-9ERC. Or visit OmegaTaxCredit.com. China has...
2: Any night uh, with Dr. Tomislav Sunich is going to be a good night of radio, I can tell you that, because we've been hosting him for nearly two decades, and I can remember even going around in the rural South, picking strawberries and fruit at an orchard with Tom Sunich, and then we traveled together from Memphis down to a, a conference at which we both spoke in Florence, Alabama, that was a long time ago, but he has been a good friend and a wonderful champion for our people uh... for his entire life and again dr tom Sunich has, uh, in addition to his lectures around the world his books uh... which you can still find on amazon and i would encourage you to check them out he has served in various diplomatic positions with the croatian government in places like london copenhagen and brussels he currently resides in zagreb where he joins us from tonight is a freelance writer still writing still out there doing the good work so uh, in the first half of this interview with Dr. Sunich, in his appearance this year on our march around the world, he was giving us some uh, deep dives into uh, some very complicated issues. In this half, the second half of our time with uh, Dr. Sunich tonight, he is going to uh, be keeping his answers punchy and uh, concise as we work through as many questions as we can that have already come in from the audience. So, Tom, I turn it back over to you, and here is the first question for you, and this is a follow-up from something we were talking about earlier. Uh, Can you discuss briefly the possibility of war between NATO and Serbia?
3: Yes, indeed. As I said, just a while ago, there was a war between NATO and Serbia in 1991 when the NATO aircraft bombed heavily Belgrade. And again, this was not quite in compliance with international law. I don't know who gave the permission to those troops. I know for sure that uh, I was still serving as a diplomat in in Tujman's government. He was opposed himself to this uh, uh, to this campaign, because most of those planes flew from Aviano, which is up north in northern Italy. It's about 10-minute drive, by, about a 10-minute flight from uh, the F-16 over there. And, of course, they flew over Croatia. and apparently, I don't know all the details, so I just don't want to get involved in conspiracy theories. Some of that material, bad material, I don't know what's the technical word for it, was dropped later on on Croatian and islands and apparently it was quite toxic and so on so basically yes Serbia and NATO and they, 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 they don't they don't have perfect ties of course they have full-fledged diplomatic ties but as I said the worst case scenario is that the Serbia may be used in fact as a target again um, and Croatia may be used as a pawn and the in, um, in this putative conflict that may again occur in the Balkans in the years to come. Again what year was uh, that? Hopefully, yeah. What year oh, was that 19- conflict? 1999. 1999, I'm sorry. I probably have said 1919. 1999, right on the Christmas, uh, a little bit earlier than that. Honestly, right. like, I'll tell you, yes. Just, yes, in summer, 1999, was a big... Uh, Bombing contained by NATO, NATO. NATO oh, that was a Clinton war. And, yes, it was Clinton's war, precisely. Man. I'm sort of losing right. track of time. <laughs> my, my, yeah, my I,
2: I, they all blurred.
3: <laughs> Believe it, me, it they is. all blurred. By the way, <laughs> was a a I know for sure I saw it. I was in Belgium then. I was stationed in Belgium. The Chinese in the embassy was heavily hit. There was a big diplomatic problem back then. Between the Chinese government and, of course, the U.S. government. Of course, yeah, I, I've got I a ton of
2: questions. I, I want to touch on your time as a. Yeah, I want to touch on your time as a diplomat. Well, I, I, I fear we're going to run out of time. Let, let's quickly work through these. Um, can you discuss the hypocrisy of NATO denouncing the Donbass succession while supporting Kosovo secession?
3: Well, I guess it's it's so strange, and I mean, this whole neo neocon scenario in uh, in Washington and not just in Washington but also on the East Coast it's hard to grasp and it's for me it is hard to grasp and hard to explain to somebody let alone for many uh, Croats, let alone for many native Europeans who have no idea what's going on who don't really understand who runs the show in Washington D.C. and I just look at the, the pedigree look at the genealogy of uh, some of uh, his neocon advisors you will also understand that most of them come from Ukraine, by their grandparents, you know, for parental side, maternal side, from Ukraine and eastern, eastern Russia. And I guess this probably explains to some extent why Blinken, for that matter, Victoria Nalant, or for that matter, some other gentleman sitting in the State Department have some beefs, if I can put it somewhat colloquially, against the Ukrainians and against the Russians. All things being said, don't forget the Ukrainians. I, I have a great sympathy for them because they have terrible losses. I don't know how many college students in America realized that uh, in 1933, Ukraine suffered horrendous, horrendous holocaust. It was right. six million. Oh, thousands. yes. Yes. Course, the same year, the, same year you know, the State Department, I think it was Roosevelt, Roosevelt. Uh, established diplomatic ties with the Soviet Union, okay? So, and I put things in perspective, we cannot just take out and decontextualize our our talks. The same in 1933, the United States of America established diplomatic ties with the Soviet, with the Stalin Soviet Union, while at the same time knowing perfectly what was going on in Ukraine, the people were starved to that. I don't want to mention the names, but you can guess by that. But just looking at the ethy- etymology <laughs> of the names of those big, um, big, uh, big architects of this Holocaust, of this actual this big starvation, and and you they, they barely you hear about this in in Washington Post and the C on CNN and elsewhere. And the yeah, so- very little. You don't hear about it ever, <laughs>
5: not
3: ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, read. I mean, again, I mean, I always, I'm sorry if I re, need recamping that. You know, probably the privilege of living in communism was, as I, I hate to repeat myself, we knew the bastards. We knew how gross they were. We knew how their lingo, we knew the Soviet lingo very well. But in America, what they have now with this quote unquote free press of fake news, or will call it mainstream media. When I read uh, this, when I read, for instance, the New York Times or Washington Post or CNN, yeah, it's not... It really makes me vomit. And it makes me puke just. <laughs> I mean, <all> those <laughs> me too. All those, even the syntax. Even if you forget it, you know, I'm a linguist myself, so I have a strong background in foreign languages. So it's just amazing what type of a hyperbole the CNN uses. Again, it doesn't mean that I've sided up with with uh, the Putin and his and his clan. Far from it but I just right. would like to see the American press to make main outlets be a little bit more objective and to put things in well, a little bit in a historical context.
5: Well, well, I'm well, taking well, so
3: much well, of your time see now. You really pulled me <laughs> <I'm> straight away <laughs> now a little bit. When I start <laughs> renting no, it. no, no, no. It was, a,
2: hey, listen, every word carried freight, as they say, but no, you're, you're exactly right. There's no free press in America. Try to have a diversity of opinion in uh uh American media like we have done for the last twenty years and see how they treat you there is no diversity of opinion in, in the american press they're they're all uh carrying water for the regime for the narrative and uh, of course they're all bought and controlled it is the, the lying press uh, you mentioned uh, the decade of the 1930s a very quick question and I want to get to uh, some personal issues with you but but answer you can answer this as quickly as you can do you think that Putin or, or Russia is protecting Russian speakers the same way that Germany was attempting to protect, uh, protect ethnic German speakers in 1939 with what's going on over there right now?
3: Of course, we always have to draw some parallels, like what is, what is history? Well, studying history means drawing parallels always. There are certain parallels, of course, that we can say. You know, if you look from the German perspective, you know, the Poles were troublemakers because even the uh, Hitler's government, the Foreign Ministry of Ribbentrop, was willing, you know, back even until '39, to cut some deals about dancing. You know, which is which was heavily popular. 90% Germans lived there in dancing. You know. I, uh, Baltic Germans also, no? so of course they had to cut. They wanted to cut some deal with the Polish government, which was heavily anti-communist. There's no question about that. But for a variety of reasons, the Poles didn't want to do that. Of course, the Poles were instigated by the Brits, and uh, to some extent also by the Roosevelt government to to actually uh, to incite the Germans into war and so on. So again. The Europeans also, I must say, with all due respect, you know, for our cause and for our gene pool, but the Europeans are quite stupid often, and they they are easily manipulated. And I must make here a very solid point, James. Please do allow me that. Just as much as we can now gloat about our whatever you want to call white power, this and that, but those tribal issues are extremely strong. Serbs versus Croats, Hungarians versus romanian slovaks versus Czechs, and then now the baltics are against the russians you know estonia has 25 percent of small country one million people twenty-five 25 of russian-speaking people there ukraine is not a homogenous country uh eastern ukraine is heavily russophone inhabited by russians three and a half million russians left ukraine refugees from russia from Ukraine, so it's a it's a it's a very very complicated terrain. What I'm saying over and over again: our prime cause, our prime uh, goal, should be preserving our gene pool and not fighting inter European wars. This no more brothers' wars. No more brothers' wars. Let us not be manipulated by neocons who are basically, I will just put it very simply, I have no time now to go into linguistics and semantic distortions, but basically what the Soviets, what the communists, the Bolsheviks, did not succeed in in the 30s and 20s with that terror. Now you have neo who are far more sophisticated, far more refined, they're doing the same thing now even to the American people in the United States of America. I'm not going to mention their names, but if you study their genealogy, you will figure out very well where they come from and what their goals are. So basically, yes, to some extent, it's failed the utopia of the Soviet Union is now, again, with its affirmative action, ethnic sensitivity gender you name it, all this uh, LGBT and all these things is now recapping itself in, in a different format, in a different paleo-communistic format now in the United States of America. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm very much concerned about it because I'm a U.S. citizen and I love the South and I'd like you never know I'm not even ruling out that I'm not even settled down back in where you live in Missouri or somewhere in the South. I love, I love the South. So again, I'm, yeah, I'm, in, Tennessee. With, <laughs> I'm in Tennessee. I'm where
2: in Tennessee where you have visited me. Yes, but but Missouri's close enough. Uh, you know, hey, you know, it's like all those uh, Baltic, uh, Baltic, and and Balkan, and uh, all the European nations really are about the size of the American states. Be, I think people you know perhaps might not know that that you can drive through any number of european nations was with just within a few hours because they're not that big they're all separate exactly. nations as we exactly. have these separate states but uh, but uh, it's, it's 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 really comparable to that now uh tom
3: let me let uh, me ask you a that couple keeping of mind over, the biggest yeah. problem of course is our tribal and our what we call historical memories we got to stop with that gloating of white power I mean, this is nonsense this is stupidity look one way or another, Europeans have been plagued themselves by those constant, constant tribal wars. We can now, we can now, uh, how can I say, criticize, we can lambast the Arabs, we can talk negatively about Jews and so on, but all things considered, even if Europe is homogeneous perfectly, even if it resuscitates itself, the gene pool and so on, I'm not ruling out there will be again tribal wars, you know, it's just... It's constantly plaguing us, and you know? I'm sorry about what happened between Serbs and Croats. Tomorrow, this may happen again between Poles and, and Russians. All right. Go ahead. No, absolutely.
2: I well, it, it will if they it can manipulate it.
3: They get a little bit carried away with this. Well,
2: know. no. Well, you're onto something. I mean, the two world wars were entirely manipulated. And it was, a, a, you know, virtually 100% white blood spilt on all sides of the two world wars. I mean, and that certainly, certainly had a disastrous, yeah. we could not survive another thing like that. Now, let me ask you, we only have about 10 minutes re- remaining with you because I know we're going to lose you before the end of this hour. we really got to make haste now. I, I want to invite you, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, read any of Tom Sunich's works. They, a lot of them can still be found at Amazon. Uh, you can find him at Twitter, at the top of my Twitter handle, and at our website, thepoliticalcessible.org. You can link over to his Twitter handle, follow him, read anything he puts out. It's always good. Um, okay, I've got to ask you these. I'm looking at the map Well, as quickly as possible. I'm looking at the map. Uh, as I said, I'm fascinated by maps. I'm looking at the map of the Balkans. And remember, Balkanized, Balkanization, there's something there. These uh, uh, brother's wars that this part of the world has faced even above and beyond the world wars but i'm looking at croatia which is a very interesting thing i mean you've got a very interesting coastline that basically landlocks bosnia and herzegovina which you mentioned as an artificial country you're just south of austria very close to to austria you border hungary a little bit to the southeast not very far away at all Macedonia and Greece so it's a very interesting part of the European world you're just a, a little boat ride across from Italy even which of the Balkan states are most encouraging to you with regards to white consciousness or are there any
3: good point, point first and foremost I gotta tell you that Croatia is just about the only white enclave and so in Serbia to extent, but Croatia more so and that's the paradox of the of Eastern Europe that we are nowadays more European on the quotation marks than than Western Europe. You know, quite frankly I don't feel like travelling any further <laughs> anymore to England or for that matter to London because I feel like a, not just like a stranger but like a foreigner, you know, even at the, the passport control or the border control when you show your US or EU passport you have people the border control who are not quite European, if you see what I mean. So yes, definitely. <laughs> this is something we also got to consider quite, quite uh, seriously. And I would encourage uh, your friends, our foreign friends from the United States of America to possibly even consider relocating to Croatia and to Eastern Europe because it's still a very safe. All things, considered. Well, let's forget for a while, you know, the Russian conflict and the Ukrainian conflict. But uh, Croatia is very safe, and Croatia is very, of course, I don't want to say racially conscious. I call them rather implicit whites. You know, this is the term that I borrow often from Kevin. That's United okay. Because, we, we, you know,
2: that's, better th- that's better than self-hating whites, which we've got plenty of in the no, United no, no, States. No, no, no. We do
3: not have that. that that's even the Catholic Church in Croatia, which is very strong, you know, and it's quite racially, it's quite racially. Real. Of course, they don't formulate that in, a, in a anthropological lingo. But folks, by and large, are much more aware of this uh, uh, monogamous marriages and uh, racial consciousness uh, than, uh, than Western European. You know, and of course, you know, keep in mind that in, in France and in Germany, the term race or race uh, was erased from the Constitution and no longer exists. And even if you talk to local cops here, even folks on the road, they, they, it's still, they, they feel this. Uh, I don't want to say hate you, but certain resentment towards people coming from non-European countries. This is something we've got to address really briefly in one minute, James. Now, of course, Croatia, having now become the full-fledged member of the European Union and, and Schengen Agreement, has literally become a launching pad for a new... Waves and waves of non-European migrants, mostly migrants coming from Eastern Asia, from actually they are not Turks but from Afghanistan. And I, I can see, I can see when I go downtown shopping, I see more and more non-Europeans now uh, moving and, 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 and moving around in downtown Zagreb. Of course, most of them don't want to stay in Zagreb or in Croatia. They want to move forward. You know, to Austria. They go to. Germany and you know why? Obviously, for obvious reasons. Germany is a self-hating nation. It it stigmatizes a neo-Nazi country, and they, they are, it's a totally schizo nation, I can tell you. As far as the Germans are concerned, as far as the <laughs> German government is concerned. So indeed, I mean, I'm again, I'm appealing to your friends. and If some of them are unfluent in, in in German, and I write also in German and French, so if you have some interesting people. Let them know that they can write me an email or something. Well, I'll tell you, maybe uh, but, some people will no, be
2: writing you an email because I, I got
3: this but, message but, but what in what now. i be happy to be of help. Now, one thing, now, in, in, in a sense, Eastern Europe, let's say Serbia or Russia or even Croatia, is far better off. We're better off. in terms of free speech. We can still say certain things. Wow. Not bad jokes, even about migrations and so on. Quite explicitly, you don't want to even think about this in Germany, where they have this strong, what they call, professionships, where they have actually this thought police It's extremely strong and very, you know, got to be extremely careful about what you say. In Eastern, as I said, for the time being, things are changing for the worse in Croatia because now we are... Member of the European Union, so we are also subject to this Glashaupten, to this level type of a, what do you call it, to this new administrative Soviet speak coming from from Brussels and Strasbourg. I gotta single out the name of our president. Of course, this is uh, not a presidential sure. system like like in President Milanovic, whom I used to know once when I was a diplomat back in back in Brussels uh, 20 years ago. He stands out. He is quite opposed to this proxy war, and he he received some kudos. And uh, kudos, <coughs> Sorry. of course, the Russian propaganda uses his <coughs> his words as a as a words of encouragement, excuse me. <laughs> But he's actually opposed to the training of Ukrainian troops in uh, in uh, in Croatia. So he's a, he's a very much. He's in feud. He's in
2: dispute with the Prime Minister of oh. well, I got. I, I got a message here now that said a uh, friend of a friend uh, is a retired army guy who took a, uh, a bride from Croatia. He said, compared to America, it's a white paradise there. And I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, you may be on the decline from what? you knew croatia to be but i bet compared to america it would be hard to be worse so so that's encouraging and of course there's encouraging things going on in places like hungary with victor orban i mean the thing victor orban says uh we couldn't hardly improve on and uh so that's encouraging i my goodness tom we have literally about two or three minutes left with you and i know we're going to lose you but um yes. this has been a fantastic I appearance i want three, to thank you I'm again
3: I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I,
2: I would love to come over there, and I would love to see you again over here, as we have done many times before at different conferences never, and events. Know, you know,
3: history is always open, but as a friend of yours very well mentioned, please, guys, do come over there. I mean, I hate to say I'm not a match. I'm not a womanizer. There's a beautiful woman here, tall, you know, good-looking, you know, very Catholic, very conservative, certainly much more conservative than many, many American women in in, in, the, in the States, you know, white women. So, you know, the only thing is Croatia has a catastrophic uh, birth rate uh, growth, birth rate growth. And the natality, um, what do you call it, to our kids, and we have basically and we, need thing, yeah. we need a couple of white yes, Genghis
2: Khans. We need a couple of white Genghis Khans to over to these European like
3: nations. My, friend, my white American friends come over here and settle down here. They can, you know, you can travel with the American passport. You don't even need a visa or something, you know. Buy yourself a property, get yourself established here, and I would like you to, to hitch up with us. <laughs> Literally, thousands of girls and just go to the church every Sunday. You <laughs> see, good-looking That's women where they're the at. I've been telling people. Years.
2: I've been telling these guys. That's where you got to go. You got to go no. to church. That's where they're at. The traditional, oh, wanna, good-looking.
3: I don't want to be getting accused of sexual harassment or something. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but please, folks, I'm seriously telling you that you know they're good people here. They're very, of course. You know, got to be careful. They're Catholic, conservative. Of course, we have those lobbies. We have the LGBTs. We have source people financing those. Uh, those uh, I don't want to call them freaks and again unfortunately we have inherited from communism certain things but we are now inheriting this capitalism certain amount of decadence coming from hollywood you know and so on and so forth so yes indeed uh in terms of administrative problems you won't have difficulties it used to be a little bit difficult of course shortly after the war but now things are things you know you got to give a certain credit to this government things are much more simple and of course Croats are in favor of Americans, white Americans, of course, and Germans. You're You you are, you are safe here. For the time being, as I said, I don't know what's going to yeah, happen. That's I, listen, oh, this, this is, is it. That. you
2: got to buy yourself and your line, your lineage, a generation or two. What else can you do? It's okay. Listen, I... This where I live now isn't the same place that my grandparents lived at and you have to do what's best for your family if you can afford to go to a place like that and set up shop and
3: raise a family and find a bride you got to do it you, so, you know, if, if push comes to shove, the other way around. I don't mind coming over and helping you guys, you know, and i yeah, We'll take.
2: I tell you what, <laughs> if, if if we had a couple of thousand Tom Suniches in uh, America, it, it, it would it, it would definitely put uh, a dent in the armor. I I respect you so much, Tom. I appreciate our friendship. You know, you became a. I was going to say a dictator, a diplomat in 1993. In 1993, I was in seventh grade. If you'd have told my seventh grade self that when I was 42, uh, I'd be interviewing a Croatian diplomat, I would be like, what?
3: (laughs) But uh, no, I've known you since I was in my early 20s, and I'm I'm a better man for it. it. This is my, you know, U.S., especially friends in the south. I'm not ruling out, you know, as I keep saying it. I don't want to sound catastrophic. History is always open. Look at the balkanized America. Look at what Joe Biden is doing, you know, with the border. There is no more border. Now, Biden seems to be obsessed with the integrity and unity of Ukraine, yet at the same time, the United States of America, the southern... As we say, Swiss cheese, you know, people are strolling in, coming in, you know. And I just, look, if Bush comes to shove, you know, I, I like always quoting and paraphrasing Pat Buchanan. We knew, we knew him both, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, that's Balkanization of the United States does not just imply, does not only apply to the Balkans, you know, geographically speaking, to my area here. It also applies to the United States of America. America is full balkanist and I do not know what's gonna happen and again if I have to choose the sides you know very well whose side I'm gonna choose I'll decide. tell you what, and, uh, I'm on your and side and you're on mine. I owe you and I owe our brothers and <laughs> sisters very, very much. Of course I'm not probably you know with some technical things we're not gonna talk about, but I'm good as a speaker So I certainly wanna use my skills, you know, to Tom, it questions. has
2: been a entirely riveting and enthralling hour with you. I say right now, best appearance You're ever Thompson ended. just made. <laughs> we just lost it because we ran out of money. Second hour coming up next.
0: In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at
1: Infowarsstore.com. You're listening to the Political Cesspool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423.
7: NAPA know how.
1: Napa
6: guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how.
1: And Antelope Hill is proud to announce the release of a new translation, Leon de Grel in Exile, by José Luis Jerez Reisco. Readers of the Burning Souls will already be familiar with de life before and during the Second World War, his service on the Eastern Front, and his involuntary post-war exile in Franco's Spain. This new work tells the story of his life in exile in detail, replete with first-hand accounts from Spanish nationalists and friends of de Grel. During his time in Spain, de did not wallow in sadness despite the atrocities inflicted upon him and his family by the victorious Allied powers. He stayed remarkably active in European nationalist politics and left a lasting impression on both his personal friends and those from around the European world who took inspiration from his tenacious idealism. DeGrelle's enduring legacy in Spain is well-deserved. Such a legacy also deserves to be spread to both sides of the Atlantic and beyond. Antelope Hill is proud to be the first to bring this unparalleled biography to the English reader, Get Leon DeGrelle in exile today at AntelopeHillPublishing.com. Resolution Radio at ResolutionRDO.com.
0: You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is The Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program and here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host james edwards
2: welcome back our two of three this saturday evening march the 11th we have had a total of four hours of broadcasting under our belts so far this month and already we've taken you to england to australia to canada and to croatia we're going to briefly pause our international travels this hour because i need to we're going to catch up on a busy week of news with keith alexander the great and then we're going to resume our march around the world in brazil in our third hour tonight and for the rest of the month we're going to continue to globe trot around this spaceship earth of ours and We'll see where we land. Uh, We're going to be all over the place, as we already have been. Well, Keith uh, was supposed to be with me in the studio tonight, but he got about halfway to the studio, and he had a blowout on the interstate, had to call AAA, got a tow back to his house, and so that's why he missed the interview with Tom Soonich. But he's here with us now, alive and well and safe and sound and getting a new tire and all of that. Uh, Keith, great to have you in any way we can get you.
7: Well, I appreciate that. All's well that ends well, and I think everything is, you know, done pretty well, uh, considering uh, it's kind of a rainy, uh, cold day here in Memphis, but uh, AAA came through in
3: the pinch. Yeah,
2: Pretty quick, I was ready to hop in the car and come out and rescue you, but I couldn't get there before AAA, which is saying something. When I had a blowout in Alabama, I waited about, uh, what, four hours, and they never even showed up. A good Samaritan on his way home from church helped me out. So, anyway, (laughs) you just never know. But uh, I I tell you, if you had gotten here, maybe God's hand was involved because if you'd have been here, I don't know (laughs) if we could have squeezed you in. Tom was uh, certainly – amped up for that interview and he had a lot to cover and he covered a lot in an hour.
7: Well, that's that's his style and uh he uh he's jam packed full of information and uh the best thing you can do with Tom is basically just uh you know sit back and let him roll.
2: Well, and he rolled. i tell you that uh, was a information packed hour that he gave us and staying up to 2 a.m. to do it Uh, there were a couple of other things i wanted to ask him about he had a recent trip to belgrade uh by invitation of the institute for european studies where he gave a lecture i wanted to ask him a little bit more about what he talked about i wanted to talk a little bit about uh, more about his time as a diplomat i mean you know he's been eight years we can call ourselves ambassadors of our people or spokesmen for our people but he actually had a full-on government sanction and commission as a diplomat and uh, he served in different positions, London, Copenhagen, and Brussels, as I mentioned, and I wanted to ask him a little bit more about that work. You know, after all the years we've had him on, we've never asked him about his time as a diplomat, really, and um, we'll do that next time. But if you go to his Wikipedia page, this is an accomplished academic, um, a scholar, an author, a diplomat. But if you go to his Wikipedia page, the first thing you'll read is the Southern Poverty Law Center says Tom Sunich is a white supremacist. So, I think that's the first thing
7: Wikipedia was Because, wants because, because he's about rubbed it. shoulders with us, and yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll never know. forget his visit over here. It was a great time, and uh, you know, uh, sure, uh, he's always welcome back. The the, the welcome match holds out for Tom at my house. I'm sure it's your house too.
2: That's absolutely true. So let's, well, you know, the aforementioned Southern Poverty Law Center. Got into a little bit of hot water this week. I don't know if anybody knows about that. What do you know about it, Keith?
7: Using your I know know, know you were the bird dog that first brought it to the attention of the media generally, although other people are taking credit for it. Well, let
2: me tell you what happened with that. I'll tell you very quickly what happened with that, ladies and gentlemen. I received a tip from a young man in the New York, New Jersey area. He monitors the Antifa Watch telegram channel. And that's basically a collective. When Antifa gets arrested, they dig into their backgrounds to see what's what and who's who. And so this young man...
7: He's a friend of our program, by the way.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, obviously he's a friend of our program, if he has my phone number. And he he texted me with this information. He says, I think that one of the Antifa rioters who was just arrested and charged with domestic terrorism uh, on an attack on a police facility in Atlanta is a staff attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, a lot of times, fanciful things like that just don't pan out. But he he contacted, he, my contact rather, provided me with the DeKalb County, that's right there in, in Atlanta, arrest report and other corroborating evidence. So once I was convinced that it was true, and Brad Griffin helped ferret out some information on this too, I said, Brad, could this possibly be true? You're a good researcher. Can you look into it? Brad found that a local reporter in Atlanta for WSB-TV had confirmed that this was a Southern Poverty Law Center staff attorney. So once I was convinced that this was true and not just an allegation or libel or slander or hearsay, I posted evidence of this man's arrest and his affiliation with the SPLC to my Twitter account at 12.15 in the afternoon. And it immediately went viral. It was shared by numerous GOP elected officials and prominent reporters for Fox News, among others. My original post thread generated one million views in less than 24 hours folks this thing got so big so fast that it was trending nationally on twitter by the time that tucker carlson covered it on his nightly television program elon musk himself weighed in on this so um you you, uh, live up
7: to your reputation as being (laughs) the uh, uh Southern nationalist version of Forrest Gump. You're there at the right place (laughs) at the right time. Well, I didn't
2: break this story. I want to be very fair and very clear. I didn't break this story. I wasn't on the scene. A local reporter for WSB reported it in Atlanta, but I think his his tweet had about like four notices or four likes or retweets or whatever. And I certainly wasn't the member of the Antifa Watch Collective who – did the digging on this but i think you can say that we were certainly one of the ones if not the one i don't know if there was anybody prior to twelve fifteen pm on the day that we posted this uh that had it break in a big way and it broke in a big way a million views in a few hours is a, is a big break and uh, especially when you're being retweeted by elected republicans and prominently elected republicans i might add and uh, prominent reporters for fox news
7: So we had a big big hand in that. The importance of this episode and the fact that the SPLC had a staff attorney out there at that so-called demonstration, I would call it more like a riot, tells you that they're not just a reporting agency. They're an instigating agency. They get things like this stirred up, and that's their purpose. These people are like the Jacobins were in the French Revolution or the – bolsheviks were in the russian revolution these are hardcore revolutionaries and they get paid because jewish power and uh, influence is behind all of these left-wing organizations like the spLC the adl uh, you, know, that, you know the list goes on and on but this is you know that it's a great career choice if you're a radical uh, you can be paid. Unfortunately, if you're a conservative, there are there is no uh, Jewish backing, so to speak, that is going to provide you with the money, and that's skip where it, all the money comes it. from. Don't don't uh don't, don't kid yourself about it. This guy is, uh, you know, he's much more than just a reporter. He's associated with the National Lawyers Guild, which is a. Radical organization it dates. from
2: Let let, let, let me pause in so they both have officially sounding names the Southern Poverty Law Center It sounds very official doesn't sound like just a left-wing advocacy group or fundraising operation The National Lawyers Guild sounds very regal sounds very legitimate, but is it?
7: No, no Uh, the National Lawyers Guild was They had lawyers at the ready. They brought out busloads of them to some of these demonstrations like Selma and uh, Birmingham and Memphis and other places uh, to be at the ready with stacks of money provided by their financiers, uh, again, and it it was founded by Jewish people. In fact, you know, Kathy Bowden, the mother of Chase Bowden, the recently kicked out district attorney for San Francisco because he uh, he was a Soros plant and was so uh, radically left-wing that even San Francisco couldn't stomach him uh his mother had a i think it was her father or grandfather leonard Bowden, who's one of the founders of the national lawyers guild these people have been left-wingers almost from the inception from the time they stepped off the boat at ellis island probably and they've been working tirelessly all of these years to undermine the traditional american society and culture that uh you know welcomed them so um The National Lawyers Guild was very instrumental in providing
5: legal help for demonstrators in, you know,
4: You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family.
0: You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more. Up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover SelfDefenseFund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time.
1: You're listening to the Political Cess Pool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com